Good morning. There's a question that Christians sometimes wrestle with, though they rarely say it out loud. The question is this, am I missing out on the best that life has to offer if I go all in in living out my faith in Christ? Some of you perhaps have wrestled with that question. Am I missing out on something because I'm living for Jesus? I've been reading a book by Matt Carter where he asks that question, uh, using his book as one of my resources on the sermon and the ones coming up, but Matt says this is the question that especially the younger generation is asking. Your kids, your grandkids are likely asking this question, am I missing out on something by living my life for Jesus? According to a LifeWay study, I I did a little research, I found out according to the LifeWay research, 66% of American young adults who attended a Protestant church regularly as teenagers say they also dropped out of church for at least a year between the ages of 18 and 22. Now think about that for a moment. Kids who grow up in church go off to school and then they start wondering, am I missing out on something that life has to offer by following Jesus? 66% of our kids are saying, yes, apparently I am. And they walk away. And some never come back. But it's not just the younger generation. In a world where Christian principles are rapidly becoming the exception rather than the norm, people of all ages are being forced to count the cost of living out their faith, and some are deciding it's simply not worth it. People who once pursued Christ are now pursuing the things of the world. People who once walked with God are now walking away from Him. And one of the amazing things about Scripture is that although it was written 2,000 years ago, the truths of Scripture are still timeless and incredibly incredibly relevant for our day. The Gospel of Luke, Jesus tells a story about a young man who was wrestling with what to do with his life. Jesus knew that we all have the potential to question whether following Him is our best choice in life. He knew that we all have the potential to question whether or not we're missing anything by being a follower of Christ. And so Jesus tells a story in the Gospel of Luke chapter 15 that we call the prodigal son. Would you open God's Word to Luke chapter 15? I know you've heard that story likely. You've read it likely many times. But let me say to you that This is a story that is relevant for all of us today. Because this young man's temptations are our temptations, and his story is our story. Luke chapter 15, I want to give you the context of this passage of Scripture we're going to be looking at. Read verse 1 to to begin kind of getting the context. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. The tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. I like how Andy Stanley describes this when he says that those who were nothing like Christ liked Christ. Those who were nothing like Jesus, they liked Jesus. 
So the tax collectors and sinners would often come to listen to him. In fact, the, the Living Bible translates verse 1 this way, Dishonest tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus' sermon. So that's in verse 1. Dennis, would you hand me that water, please? Thank you, sir. So that's in verse 1. In verse 1, tell me, who is the group that we have in verse 1? Tax collectors and sinners. And they're very interested in what Jesus has to say. They're coming to listen to what he has to say. Then there's another group in verse 2. Verse 2, a totally different group. But the Pharisees, notice that word but, in contrast to the group of verse 1. Here's another group. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. The word mutter there has the idea that they complained among themselves but not openly. That they were just not saying it out loud. They were muttering to one another. You see, these religious people, self-righteous religious people, viewed sinners with contempt. And they assumed that God did too. It was their assumption that God looked down on the people, on sinners, like they looked down on the sinners. And in response to these self-righteous people, Jesus told a story about God's forgiving love of sinners. Look at verse 3. Then Jesus told them this parable. I know that's a very short verse, but I need you to notice some words in that little verse of verse 3. Then Jesus told them... Them being the self-righteous Pharisees, the self-righteous religious leaders who were looking down on the sinners, those who felt better than the sinners, those who looked at sinners with contempt and assumed that God did as well. Then Jesus told them, these next two words are important, this parable. In other words, Jesus intentionally told the story to contrast the love of God with the hard-heartedness of the Pharisees. He intentionally told this story to explain to these hard-hearted Pharisees that God is not like them. That God does not view sinners the way they do. So the parable or the story in Luke chapter 15 that Jesus told has three parts. We're not going to read the whole story. But let me just summarize the parts of the story. In verses 3 through 7, it's a story about a hundred sheep. Verses 8 through 10, the story about 10 silver coins. And then in verses 11 through 32, the longest part of the story, there's a story about two sons. So get this in your mind. As Jesus tells this parable, the Bible says in verse 3, to these self-righteous Pharisees, he tells them a story about 100 sheep and about 10 coins and about two sons. Now the one thing that tied all three of these stories together is that each story is about one thing that is lost. There's one sheep, there's one coin, there's one son. And Jesus used these three stories to teach about the radical, never-ending love of God. Now, I want you to say those words with me. Radical, never-ending love of God. So Jesus used this story, this parable, to teach the disciples and to teach especially the self-righteous Pharisees about the, sit with me, the Radical, never-ending love of God. 
about the radical, never-ending love of God. Now, let me explain it to you or show it to you in the Scripture. Remember the first story is about a hundred sheep and the, the, the end of the story, the, the, the punchline, if you will, the celebration in the story is in verse 7. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one, what's that next word? One sinner, one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. I am convinced that when Jesus said that, and he got to the point about 99 righteous persons who don't need to repent, I'm convinced he looked at those Pharisees right in the eye and maybe kind of glared at them. He said, I want to tell you something. There's more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner that repents, and then I'm convinced he turns and looks right at the Pharisees eye to eye than over 99 righteous people who don't need to repent. Then he tells a second story. Verse 10 is kind of the, the end of that story. The summary, if you will, in verse 10, parable of the lost coin. He says, in the same way, I tell you, there's more rejoicing in the presence of, God, of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And here it is a second time. Two times now he's told these little stories, and, and the end of the story is about how heaven celebrates when a sinner repents. That led then to the story of a son who became a sinner who needed to repent. Those two stories were the ramps, if you will, to this larger story about a son who became a sinner who needed to repent. So during the month of February, we're going to be looking at this story that Charles Dickens has called the finest short story ever written. It is an amazing story. It's the story of a young man who felt like he was missing out on the best that life had to offer by staying where he was. So he deliberately walked away from his family. He deliberately walked away from the love of his father in pursuit of worldly pleasures. We call him the prodigal son. Now, you know the story more than likely. You, that, that phrase, the prodigal son, is probably not new to you. But let me ask you a question. Do you know what the name or what the word prodigal means? Don't answer that out loud because you might be embarrassed. Do you know what the name prodigal means? When we say the prodigal son, what does that name prodigal mean? Well, if I were to bring a microphone to you and say, hey, what does the name prodigal or the word prodigal mean? You would probably say more than likely, well, I think it means wayward or rebellious. And if that would be your answer, you would be wrong. Or it actually means wasteful or extravagantly wasteful. It comes from the text in verse 13. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had and he set off for a distant country and there, watch this, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. King James says he wasted his substance with riotous living. The message translation says he wasted everything that he had. That's why we call him the prodigal son, the wasteful son. The son who walked away from the love of his father, walked away from the warmth of his home, the son who walked away thinking I'm missing something, and he went and wasted what he had. 
And, and, but this is not just a story about a son who, who made a bad decision. This is a story about a father, a God, who loves sinners, even those who waste their lives. Have you ever seen anybody waste their lives? Boy, I sure have. I've been the pastor here for 23 years, and before that I pastored a church in North Carolina for 10 years. So in 33 years, I've seen a lot of people waste their lives. We, we sometimes will say things like, he had so much potential. What a waste. Or we'll say, she accomplished so much, and then she threw it all away. What a waste. Or he came from a good family, and he had a good job. Then he got involved in the wrong things, and he lost it all. What a waste. I'm sensitive to the fact that some of you may have a son or a daughter or maybe a grandchild who is a prodigal. I'm also sensitive to the fact that you may be the prodigal. You've wasted what God has given you. You've hurt a lot of people in the process. And you're broken and overwhelmed by where your life has ended up. So whether you know a prodigal or you are a prodigal, Jesus tells us a story to illustrate one powerful truth that we all need to hear. And that is this. When your life doesn't turn out the way that you thought it would, you can go home to God. When your life doesn't turn out the way you thought it would, when you turned your back on everything else and you thought this would bring you happiness, you thought this would be the thing that would fulfill the void in your life, but when your life doesn't turn out the way you thought it would, you can go home to God. You see, the story of the prodigal son is a story to show us that God's arms are wide open. Recently, earlier this week, actually, Monday and Tuesday, I got to go to Charleston and see the world's greatest grandbaby. I should, she's the world's greatest grandchild, really, because she's almost three now. Uh, but when I saw her, I opened up my arms, and her smile was really big, and she came running towards me and, and hugged me, and I just picked her up, and I hugged her, and I kissed her. And The story of the prodigal son is that that's not just for grandfathers. Your heavenly father is like that, too. That your heavenly Father's arms are wide open. Even if you've been in the pig pen. Your heavenly Father's arms are wide open. You see, this is not just a story about a man who extravagantly wasted his life. This is a story about a broken man who experienced the extravagant love of his father. Jesus taught us that God is our Father, and nowhere is that more evident than in the story of the prodigal son. In fact, I hope you'll spend some time during the month of February reading and rereading and studying this parable, this story. But when you read this story carefully, you'll find out that the Father is mentioned 12 times in 22 verses. 12 times in 22 verses. It's not just the story of a wasteful son. The story of a loving father who restores his wasteful son. 
The purpose of the story is to say, this is how God feels about you. You don't have to keep living in the pig pen. You can change your life. Regardless of how you've messed up your life, regardless of what you've done or where you've gone, God has never stopped loving you. And can I say to you, dear parents or grandparents, if you have a prodigal, the same is true about them. Regardless of where they've gone or what they've done or how badly they've messed up their lives, their Heavenly Father has never stopped loving them. And don't you stop either. So, here's what I hope you'll do. I hope you'll come every Sunday in February. This is kind of an introduction to the series. I hope you'll come every Sunday in February as we go through this chapter, as we go through this story, as we understand verse by verse what Jesus was teaching to them and to us. So let's look at how all of this began, starting now in verse 11, chapter 15, verse 11. Jesus continued. Remember, he's told two parables before this, or two stories about the lost sheep and the lost coin. And now he's going to tell another story, another parable, this one about the lost son. Jesus continued, there's a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Now, let me just stop right there before we read verse 13. Let me explain to you what's happening in that day, it was somewhat like it is in our day, that when the parent dies, the estate was divided among the children. Except in that day, according to the book of Deuteronomy, the oldest of the sons got a double portion of the estate. And then the rest of the children got split up equally, the rest of the estate. So in this situation, this youngest son decides that he wants to leave. He decides that there's something better down the road. He decides that this is not where he wants to be. He wants to be somewhere else. But he also knows that he's broke. He also realizes his father's got money. And one day he'll get it when his father dies. But he doesn't want to wait that long. He wants to leave now. And so he hard-heartedly goes to his dad and in all essence was basically saying, I know I'll get this when you die, but that can't come quick enough. So can I go ahead and get the money now? Imagine how heartbroken his dad must have been where his son was basically saying, you know, Dad, I kind of wish you were dead because I really want this money. I want my share of the estate now. That's what we're talking about here. Now, verse 13. Not long after that, not long after he got his share of the estate, not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and he set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. Matt Carter suggests, as I've told you about that book that I'm reading, that this young man probably was just discontent. He was restless. He's living the life he's always known. And he's wondering what life is like out there. He's living the life, the daily routine that he's always known. But he's looking down the road thinking, but there's something else out there that I'm missing. And so he makes a radical decision. He makes the decision to leave his father, 
to leave his brother, to leave his home, and to take off for a life somewhere else. Now, what led to that decision? What led him to make such a radical decision? We're not told directly. That I can't give you chapter and verse. But reading between the lines, he must have been thinking, is there something better out there that, that I'm missing because of my relationship with God? I've put it on the screen. Is there a better life out there that I'm completely missing out on? By being obedient to God. So he begins to wonder. And he looks down the road. And he wonders. And he looks down the road. And at some point, as he wrestles with this question or one like it, at some point he says, yes. I think there is something else out there. I think there is something better. I think I can find happiness somewhere else. So he summons up the courage, he approaches his father, and I can't imagine how nervous he could have been to go to his father and ask for the cash. The Bible says, I like the the wording here, not long after that. It doesn't say if it was a day or a week, but not long after that. He turned his back on his father and his brother and his home, and probably with a big smile on his face, he started towards the road, convinced Happiness is going to be found somewhere else, somewhere other than where he was. As I was writing this sermon, I I couldn't help but think of a a man that I knew back in North Carolina. Uh, I was his pastor. Uh, At the time, he was probably in his late 20s, early 30s. He served in the church in a couple of different capacities. Well known in in our church. He traveled with a singing group who's kind of known in the community. I considered him a friend. And then one day, he turned his back on his wife, and on his kids, and on his church, and on his home, because he became convinced that happiness could be found somewhere else than where he was. He became convinced that happiness could be found in someone else's arms. He became convinced that on down the road, he's been missing something, and on down the road, he'll find the happiness he's looking for. And this man that I knew so well, this man who had led worship in our church from time to time, this man who had traveled and sang, walked away from his faith, walked away from his family, and walked down the the road looking for happiness somewhere else. Now, how does that happen? How does that happen? I mean, if we know that sin is wrong, why do we choose that path? I didn't have to tell him that this is wrong. He knew it was wrong. But somehow he he had decided, no, This feels right. And this is the path to happiness. How in the world does that happen? I can give you the answer and it's real simple. Satan lies to us. And he's really good at it. He's very good at it. And instead of believing God, we believe him. 
And we go out and make some very dumb decisions. You see, as I've studied this parable, this story of this prodigal son, as I've tried to kind of put myself in his shoes, I believe that all this young man could see was the freedom of the distant country. All he could see was the freedom of not living in his father's house anymore. All he could see was the fun that was waiting on him down the road. And I I realize that on the front end, Satan makes it look really good. He never tells you about the pig pen on the other end. He never tells you of the consequences if you go down that path. Satan tells us that sin equals fun. And God's Word tells us that sin equals death. And every single time you stand at the crossroads of sin and obedience... You ultimately make the decision, am I going to believe what God says is best? As you stand at the crossroads of sin and obedience, you have to decide, am I going to believe what God says is best? I've learned, as a pastor and as a sinner, I have learned... Sin never produces what it promises, ever. It only results in death and shame and guilt. And yet, there we stand, on the edge of the road, contemplating, taking a journey away from family, away from home, maybe even away from our faith. There we stand on the edge of the road thinking happiness is found somewhere else. There we stand on the edge of the road about to walk away on a journey that will cost us more than we could ever imagine. I want to end with a final appeal. And here it is. The best that life has to offer is living in obedience to God. Now, if you are a prodigal or if you're contemplating walking down that road, you're probably going to say, that's just preacher talk. That's just preacher talk. I I think real happiness is going to be when I go down that road. That's just preacher talk. You're just trying to get me to, to stay where I am. But I believe happiness is somewhere else. That's just preacher talk. And I would say to you, no, that is not preacher talk. That is the Word of God. And as you stand at the intersection of sin and obedience, you have to decide that the best life has to offer is not down the road in the pig pen. The best that life has to offer is living in obedience to God. You always lose more than you gain when you follow your flesh. You always lose more than you gain when you walk down the road away from the Father. I want you to bow your heads for a moment. I just want to speak to you for a moment. I'm going to ask you not to be leaving or gathering your stuff. I'm just going to ask you to focus for a moment. First of all, 
if you are the parent of a prodigal or the grandparent of a prodigal, I know your heart is heavy. You may be even shedding some tears right where you're sitting right now. But I also want you to realize there is hope. And I want you to come every Sunday during this series and maybe find some new ways to pray for your son or daughter or grandchild. Maybe you start today by by praying for them that they would understand they have believed a lie. Maybe you start today by praying for them that they would realize they can go home to God. Just make this every Sunday. Make this a time where you're focusing on praying for your prodigal. And feel free to come to this altar. Feel free to come and pray for them. Or you can pray right where you are. But also I want to speak to you who may be the prodigal. And your life is in a mess. And when you first picked up that bottle or when you first picked up those drugs or when you first participated in this or that and you fill in the blank, you never anticipated where your life would end up. Satan didn't show you the consequences. He just showed you the fun or what appeared to be fun. And if you are a prodigal, could I say to you, the arms of your heavenly Father are open wide. We're going to see that clearly later in this series, but I just want to affirm to you today that Jesus told this story because He wanted us to understand how God feels about sinners. And the way that God feels about sinners is that His arms are open wide. You can go home. But in each of those stories, there came the time of repentance. The pathway back to your father is repentance. The pathway that led you away from your father was sin. The path that leads you back to your father is repentance. I give you a chance to do that today. I ask you to do that today. And then I want to say to somebody who may be here today, and you're not the prodigal yet, but your feet are on the edge of the road. I'll say the same thing to you that I said in the first service. Nobody has asked me to preach this message. I don't know anything about anybody. Your wife or your husband has not come to me. But God made it very clear that I was supposed to speak this word. I really believe that there's somebody on the edge of the road about to walk away thinking they'll find happiness somewhere else. Your feet are about on that path to walk away from your faith and walk away from your family because you're convinced there is happiness somewhere else. I would ask you to ask yourself one question. Am I believing a lie? Am I believing a lie? And if you know Christ as Savior, deep down, you know the answer to that question. You might want to bury the answer. You may not want to ask the question because deep down, you know the answer to that question. Am I believing a lie? I hope that today and throughout this series, you will decide 
that happiness really is found in obedience to God and in a relationship with Him. Father, in the name of Jesus, I'm not sure how all you're going to use this, but I just want to dedicate this entire month to you and ask you to open the word to us and help us to better understand this remarkable story that Jesus told about how you feel about sinners. I pray your will be done. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. I pray Jesus be honored and glorified. In his name I pray. Amen.